Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. You know, those are, those are amazing, amazing words. And they were, they were written in, 1779 by a man named John Newton, and probably one of the most famous songs in history. Um, and it perfectly, it perfectly displays a foundational truth just in Christianity. It's just the amazing grace of God. And so this morning, uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Jeep Underwood, and we're going to be, we're going to be starting a message series on the grace of God. We're going to be looking at the grace of God and the huge impact that that really can have on our lives if we really respond to it. So this morning I'd like to tell just to look a little bit at just John Newton's life, the man who wrote these words. Now the original title for this song was Faith's Review and Expectation. I'm really glad that got changed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, John Newton, he, uh, he was a great songwriter, but titles weren't his strong suit. Um, I can, I can relate to that. Um, but you know, when John Newton wrote this song, he was describing his own experience and his own experience with God's grace. And when he wrote the words, a wretch like me, that's exactly what he meant. He looked back on his life and he saw where he came from and he saw where he wound up. And those are very two different things. You know, his story, you know, he, I'll tell you a little bit, just a little, just a few things about his story is, uh, uh, his dad was a sea captain, and so when his, in his really early years, he didn't see his dad hardly at all because he was always off at sea. And so his mom was very important in his life, and she just really uh, she really trained him. When he was four years old, he could quote several verses. He had she had him really just looking at the Bible and taking in the scriptures. But then the tragedy really struck him when he was six years old, and his mom died. He lost his mom, and he kind of was un, kind of floundered around for a while. And, when he was about 11 years old, his dad took him on his first sea voyage. So he kind of went with his dad, began to get in dad's business. And over the next six years, he just went on several voyages. But one thing that was going on with John is he began to just get really resentful about a lot of things. And he, he began to just have a lot of bad attitudes, and he just kind of acted out. He was real rebellious. He didn't really want to follow what anybody had to say. And his dad would secure opportunities for him, like some prominent places on different ships and he would get there, but who he was just killed that killed that uh, possibility, and he squandered many opportunities like that. And he always became like a common seaman, and they just he just he learned to be a sailor. But he was just one of those guys that just always kicked against everything, and and people just didn't really didn't really cotton to John Newton. And uh, when he was 18 years old, he was forced into the British Navy. Uh, back in those days, they could just come up and go, "Hey, we're going to take some guys off your ship. You're in the Navy now." And so he winds up in the Navy, and who he was in the rebellious nature just continued, and his attitude uh, just went continued going south. And he wound up getting publicly flogged uh, for desertion. He tried to get away, and he got he got really punished for that in a public way. And he he became a kind of guy he was disliked and distrusted by all of the crew members and by the captains of every ship that he was on. And it went so far that the sailors kind of gave him a nickname. They called him the Great Blasphemer. Because not only did he mess up all the time, he was trying to pull other people into what he was doing. And, and then he got connected with the slave trade. And uh, he, 
he, he, he went on land in Africa and for about a year he was on land and he got involved in the slave trade there. But one thing that happened is his partner there left on a sea voyage and he got real sick and he got really, uh, the people that were in charge there didn't like him at all. And they just, they, they put him in a bad place. They kind of imprisoned him for a while. Didn't give him very much to eat. He had a really hard time. His dad hears about where he's at and he tells a guy that he knows is heading that way to stop by and pick him up. And so John Newton gets on this ship and he's heading back to London. And it was, he just, he continued to be a troublemaker on ship and he really seemed beyond hope. And, uh, in fact, there was even one time they were going through a really bad storm and they thought, hey, this is like Jonah. We need to throw him overboard. I think he's causing us all kinds of trouble. That's the kind of, kind of trouble he was, he was developing. <clears throat> but then something happened. Something happened. He, there was a book on board. He just picked up this book and it was, uh, he was bored. He was tired of reading the things that he had. And this book was called The Imitation of Christ by, uh, Thomas Kempis. And he, he began to read that. And at one point he finished reading that and he, he began to worry that the words in this book might be true. And he, he throws the book down and he, he goes to bed. He goes to bed and that night as he was sleeping, the storm, a storm blew in and just engulfed the ship. And it was kind of a storm to where you're not, you don't think things are going to go bad. You think the ship's going down. And what he woke up to was someone screaming, uh, the ship is sinking. The ship is sinking. He wakes up completely rattled. And he uh, he does something that he didn't expect. And what he does is he cries out, Lord, have mercy on us. And he prays. And he said later, later uh, when he wrote about this, he said, and when he said that, the thought that went through his mind was, could there be any mercy for someone like me? So then... After many hours of extreme danger, where everyone thought this ship was going down, uh, the storm blew, blew through, and they actually survived. And John, for the first time in his life, felt peace. He felt some peace. And, and what he said is that, I began to know that there is a God who answers prayer. And at that moment, almost immediately after that moment in his life, he, he, be, he turned away from the horrible lifestyle that he was living and he started praying and reading the Bible and started pursuing God. And he, he counted every year he would, uh, he would, uh, celebrate that year, March 21st, uh, 1748 as the great turning point in his life. And over the next several years, he, he got, he would continue to stay involved in the slave trade. He became a slave ship captain. He was involved, but all along the way, he continued to give a better understanding of what grace was and his relationship with God kept unfolding until at one, as he, as he grew in God, he came to the place where he was really leading and shepherding other people. And he came to the place where he became a pastor of a, of a church. He came to a place where he wrote many hymns as we saw earlier. And he also, he wrote an autobiography of his life that was, became an international bestseller and he impacted people all over, all over the globe. And he became a mentor of, of prominent men. The, the grace of God that pursued John Newton, the grace that changed the whole trajectory of his life, that's the same grace that God offers us today. It's the same grace. It's the same God. And that's really what, how God really wants, what he really wants for us today is to really experience his grace like that. So, you know, as you, uh, as you begin, as you think about Jesus, you know, I, 
all of us have different thoughts. And as you get around, if you look in the media, you see all kinds of ideas about who Jesus was and what he was like. A lot of caricatures. And for me personally, when, when I begin to get into the scriptures on my own and begin to really begin to seek out like who God was and get to know him, uh, I came across John three seventeen and 18. And I wanted to share that with you guys this morning. Jesus had just said, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And right after that, he says, for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. It says, Jesus, he didn't come to judge the world. He came to save it. And what, when he stepped into the world that we're in, the, the world that we live in, he said that world, it's already under judgment. Every one of us already are under judgment. And so he came in. He didn't come in to judge us. He came in to really save us. And that's really what his purpose was here. And when I read this, this picture came in my mind of, because I'm kind of a Western guy. You know, I like watching Westerns. I had this picture came in my mind of like a train going through the, going through the mountains or going through the plains. And there's, as you zoom ahead, you see this trussle and it's out. And this train is going right towards the canyon. And no one knows it on the train, but they're really headed nowhere. And it's going to be, the, the train's going to wreck. And you see this, you see someone on a wagon come alongside the train. And he's trying to get people to get off the train. He's trying to save them. And I think that's a, that's a pretty good picture of what, what Jesus was trying to do when he, as he came to, uh, he came to our world was he's trying to help us really experience the grace of God and really be saved from just uh, where we're headed, just like John Newton. So, uh, but I think, you know, we're afraid that, I think some, one thing we're afraid of is that if, if God knew the truth about me, then he wouldn't want anything to do with me. If God really knew the truth about me, then he, he would, he would really condemn me. And I think that's a fear that we have. So John, you know, John walked, he, he spent a lot of time, he spent a lot of time walking around with Jesus. And when he tried to describe Jesus' identity, he said this in John chapter 1. He just said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. It says that, it says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. He's, he's not balanced between them. He's not, it's not a little bit less grace, a little bit less truth. He really is full of grace and truth. But the question is like, how do you connect to the grace that Jesus has? How do you connect to his grace? Now we all, you know, when we're, when we know that we're guilty, grace is the thing that we crave most. When we know that we've messed up, we really desire grace. Um, when we mess up, we really, we really want someone to give us what we know we really don't deserve. That's something we really want to do. In fact, what grace is, it's really just favor with someone that's undeserved and unearned. That's really what grace is. It's, it's undeserved and it's unearned favor. And you can't, but the thing is, is you can't really, you can't really receive grace for what it really is until you're convinced that you don't deserve it. You really can't receive grace until you get to the point where you know that you don't deserve it. And that's the point that John Newton was at. John Newton was at that point where God's grace, he was at that point when God's grace really invaded his life and the trajectory of his life completely changed. In fact, that's, that's why he wrote, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved.'" See, God's grace brings us to the point 
where we know we don't deserve it. And that can be a scary place to be. But as we, as we reach out to him and accept that grace, then he extends that grace to us and he floods us with it. And we get to step right into it. And so it's his grace that pulls us to the point where we know we don't deserve it, but it's actually his grace that he freely gives us as soon as we respond to him. And so that's a, that's a huge thing. And Jesus was full of that kind of grace. That's the way he related to people. That's the way, that's part of who he is. But, but I think in our minds when we hear that, we, I don't know about you guys, sometimes when I, when I read the scriptures, I, I kind of like, sometimes I can kind of go, yeah, but, but, but what about this? And, or I even think, sometimes I'll think, but what if God knew what I've really done? I think sometimes we can struggle with, yeah, I hear that, but, but, but if God knew what I really have done, then I just don't think that we'd be okay. And that's one thing that John said, that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Jesus knows the truth. He knows the truth about everything. He knows the truth about us. He knows the truth about you. He knows the truth about me. He knows exactly everything about us. And John, uh, John, John, uh, the one who wrote the book of John, he experienced this with Jesus. He walked around with him and he saw the way Jesus related to people. In fact, as you go through, as you go through the gospel accounts, in fact, I would encourage you to read through the gospel accounts and just look for the way God, Jesus is treating people. What you'll see over and over again is that he holds to the truth, but he extends grace. He holds to the truth and he extends grace to people. That's just who he is. In fact, one day, uh, one day Jesus was teaching a group of people uh, in the temple and the Pharisees brought this woman in front of him and they made her stand in shame before the whole group. And they said, this woman was caught in adultery. And the law says she should be executed and she should be stoned to death. What do you say? Now you talk about a loaded question. He's standing here at the temple and they bring this up. And I can imagine that she was absolutely terrified because she knew she was guilty. She was probably absolutely terrified as to what's going to happen next. And so what happens next confused everyone because Jesus a lot of you probably know this story. Some of you may not. But Jesus, in the face of that of that loaded question, he gets down on the ground and he starts writing and just kind of looks like he's not really going to answer the question. And I'm sure people are kind of shifting their weight, kind of, well, what's, what's he doing? And then he, he stands up and he says, you know, I got an idea. Let's let the one who doesn't have any sin at all throw the first stone. What do you guys think of that? All right. He goes back down. He starts writing on the ground. And he acts like he's not paying attention. He's just kind of writing on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. It would be really cool to know what he was writing. I personally would love to know. Maybe I'll, ask, I'll have to ask someday. Uh, but he's writing on the ground. And as he's doing that, it says the older men started leaving. And then the younger men. I think the older men just had a much bigger picture of just how unworthy they were to pick up a rock. And then the, they're probably pulling the younger guys going, come on, come on. And they go, they walk out. And then there's a, there's this point in time when there's no one left except Jesus and the lady. And then Jesus stands back up. In fact, in John, John 8, 10, John says what happens next. It says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, uh, where are they? Uh, has no one condemned you? 
And she said, no one, sir. He said, neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. You know, he said uh, she knew she was guilty. Jesus knew she was guilty. And yet, he doesn't turn away from the truth. He says, you know what, the way you've been living is causing you a lot of problems. He says, you need to leave your life of sin. He tells her the truth, but then he says, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. And what, what he does is it opens up a brand new world for her. A brand new world for her opens up. And her whole life, of her trajectory of her life begins to be different. That's, that's the way Jesus is, and that's the way he is towards us. But, you know, there's a, there's a part of us, and we start asking these questions, but, but how can Jesus forgive people who've really done wrong? How, how can he forgive us when we've really gone, done things wrong and, we, and uh, there's, there's a price to pay? Well, Paul really, Paul really kind of disentangles this and, and really paints a picture of, of what Jesus really did when he went to the cross. And I want to I take a look at that uh, here right now. Paul said this in Colossians. He says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What he's saying, it, what he's saying is, for the people who've responded to God's grace like John Newton did, that there's a new life that they have. They've been forgiven of their sins. They've been made alive. Uh, they've been made alive from the dead life that they were in. And then it says that they canceled out, when Jesus was on the cross, it said they canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. And so, you know, in those days when, when someone was crucified, they would take the charge that was against them and they would nail it to the cross. So as you're walking along, you see someone who's crucified and it says, thief. And you go, okay, don't steal. <laughs> That's a really good idea. And so you begin, you see really what the consequences are. Well, with, what he says, what Jesus did is he took everything that we've ever done wrong, everything that we're going to do wrong, and he took it, it was written down as a legal document and it was nailed to the cross. And he paid the price for that. It was a legal transaction that happened. And he took it out of the way and it opened up this a possibility for his grace really to connect with us. It's a problem that had to be solved and Jesus died to do that. And now we have this, we can freely experience God's grace because of what Jesus did on the cross. You know, that kind of, that kind of grace, you know, this, this kind of grace that, um, that gives you what you don't deserve, it, it can run counter to the way that we, that we've been raised to think of fairness. You know, we kind of all have this sense of fairness and it can, it can be feel kind of counter to that. You know, Jesus, Jesus told a story once that, that I think really captures our natural way of thinking and how his grace is very different than that. And I'd like to kind of walk through, I'm going to, I'm going to walk through this, uh, story this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 20. Some of you may be, may know this story and you kind of know where this is going. And, uh, but I just encourage everyone just to stay with this story and really listen to what Jesus said. Jesus, he's trying, he's explaining how things work in the kingdom of God. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and he sent them into his vineyard. Now, a denarius was like a one day wage. Uh, 
I believe it was a single coin. It was a one-day wage he, he, they, they agreed to. And then he says about 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And go ahead in the next verse. He told them, you also go and you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever's right. And so they went. And he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and he did the same thing. So he keeps, a kind of the picture that comes to my mind is kind of a contractor who uh, has to keep going to Home Depot to pick up things. And there's day laborers out there that need work. And so they, every time he goes, he's like, hey, you know what, guys, come on. Come back and go to work with me. So he's, this guy, he just keeps going to the marketplace, bringing guys and putting them to work in his vineyard. <clears throat> now, uh, and each time he's telling them, I'm going to pay you whatever's right. And so as they go along, uh, they, all, they all start working. Then the landowner goes out again. Nobody expects him to leave this last time. He goes out again about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, their work day was from like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So uh, in Matthew uh, 26 and 7, it says about 5 in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? And he said, because no one has hired us, they answered. And, uh, and then he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. You come with me. I'll put you to work and I'll pay you, I'll, I'll pay you what we just, uh, what I think is right. And so <clears throat> they bring him out. Now it comes to the time where it's time to pay. He's like, it's at the end of the day. And as he gets, and Jesus is, when he's, he's telling the story, he's getting to the place. He goes, okay, it's, it's time to, for payment to happen. And I'm sure the people that were listening to Jesus tell this story, they're, they're going, well, how's he going to, well, how's he going to do this? Is he going to like line up the 12 hour people and the nine hour people and the six hour people and, how much is a twelfth of a denarius anyway? And he was just trying to just kind of figure this out. And so Jesus continues the story and he says, the landowner says, pay them. And he says, we're going to start with the guys who just worked one hour. And so let's, uh, in Matthew 20, verse 9, it says, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and they each received a denarius. So when they came, so when those who came were hired first, they were expecting to receive more. So there was kind of this excitement that kind of ran through like, whoa, they got a denarius. We might get a lot of bank. You know, we're going to, this is, you know, kind of like, I wonder what we're going to get. And then he says, but each of them also received a denarius. And they grab it and they go. And something just didn't seem quite fair to them. And it felt, it felt like it was unfair. And they began to grumble. They began to grumble about what was really going on. And then, in Matthew twenty twelve, Jesus continues, and this is what they told him. The workers, they, they, they tell the landowner, these, these who were hired last worked only one hour, but you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. And uh, they're, just, they're just saying, this is patently not fair. And so then the landowner says this. This is in verse 13. He says, but he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. I want to give this to them. It's a gift. It's a gift that I'm giving them. And so I just want to give that to them. In fact, if you go on to the next, next verse is the last thing the landowner says in the story. He says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or do you, are you envious because I'm generous? And so he, he's, he's basically, what he's asking is, are you resentful because I'm generous? 
because, you know, we, we agreed. We agreed. And actually, I just wanted to give them the same. That's really, I just wanted to give that to them. They didn't deserve it. It's just a gift that I want to give them. Now, I don't know about you, when I, when I, as I've come across that story in my, in my reading, there's always, there's something in me that I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound right. And I really think, you know, a lot of Jesus' stories, Jesus had this ability to tell a story with a lesson that evoked the emotions that help you understand the lesson. And I think, I think Jesus was trying to get across this point is that, is that he's, that he's really inviting you and me to really see the world differently and to really understand how things really work in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is a place where the undeserving get exactly what they don't deserve. And it's also a place where you extend to other people what they don't deserve because your father has given, extended to you what you don't deserve. It's a place, it's a place where people are continually being gracious and giving what people don't deserve. And it creates, it creates a, a real loving environment. And that's what the kingdom of heaven looks like. You know, but this, you know, this, this feels unfair because of the way we're, we were raised to measure fair. But grace is not fair. It's better than fair. Grace is beyond fair because everyone is invited. Everyone is invited to be at the table with Jesus. The people who showed up at 9, noon, at 5, whenever you show up, you're invited. You're invited to really experience God's grace. <clears throat> so this morning, this morning, you know, you know, maybe, maybe you're here and you've been, uh, you've been kind of checking out Christianity. And, uh, you've been, you've been looking into it some, you've been thinking about it and you've come to realize that there's something real going on. And maybe you've come to a place where you really see the truth that you need Jesus and his grace. Maybe you've come to that place. I would really, I'd really encourage you that today, sometime today, that you would really respond to this offer of grace that, that God has, that, uh, you could get some time and just pray to him, uh, like John Newton did. And just ask him to invade your life with his grace. It might be, uh, you know, some words that you could say. And these are not magic words. These are just, it really what it's about, it's your heart. It's about the heart that John Newton had when he came to the place where he realized, I don't deserve this, but I need what I don't deserve. And you, you, could, you could pray something like this to God. You could say, Father, I know I don't measure up. I need, but I need what I don't deserve. I need to be forgiven and and restored to you. And I believe that when Jesus died and he rose from the dead, that that accomplished both. And I, God, I will, I put my trust and my faith in Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. If you come to God with that kind of heart where you know that you don't deserve it, but you, you really need it then God, what happens is God invades your life and the trajectory of your life completely changes. The trajectory of your life completely changes. So as we, uh, as we close, as we come close to closing today, I want to, I want to go back to John Newton. Um, now John Newton, um, as we said, he came to the place where he knew that he didn't deserve grace and he asked for it. And over time, he experienced a growing relationship with God. And he experienced grace on an ongoing basis. And it completely changed his life. 
over time, what happened, as I said before, he became a pastor of a church. He began to have a real desire to really help other people just come to know Jesus and really walk with him. He wrote the song Amazing Grace and many other hymns. Uh, he mentored many people. In fact, one of the guys that he mentored was a guy named William Wilberforce, uh, who was very instrumental in getting rid of the slave trade and slavery itself from the British Empire. And because of, because of his involvement with William Wilberforce and being his mentor, John Newton became uh, uh, just a very instrumental person in ending slavery in the British Empire in 1834. And his, his influence, like I said, through his autobiography, through, through all of his writings, he had many, many writings, and the impact of all the lives that he touched, he had this huge impact in the lives of other people. And so he still has that impact with us today when we sing his songs. And what's interesting, another thing that what's interesting is, as I was reading his biography, something I didn't know was, you know, the title, remember the title of his song wasn't the best? The tune to his song actually isn't the one that we sing now either. I don't know if it's good or not. I don't know what the tune was. Um, but the tune that we sing, it, was, it comes from uh, the slaves of the American South. The slaves of the American South connected to his song, and they put their own music to it. And so the song that we sing today is actually the music that we sing, the music that stirs our hearts, was something that was put together from folks that were in slavery. The man who enslaved other people became the man who freed other people. His life, his trajectory, everything about him completely changed because of the grace that, that marked his life. <clears throat> when, you, when you connect to the grace of God, when you connect to the grace of God, where you were headed and where you wind up are just two very different things. It's, a, it's an amazing thing when you really connect to the grace of God and know that God really cares about you. So, you know, this maybe, maybe uh, for those of us that are believers, you know, maybe you've, uh, maybe you've done something or, or done something recently this week even where maybe you treated someone wrongly, uh, maybe uh, you said something that hurt someone, or, or maybe you've just been thinking, you know, I, I really haven't spent time with God in a very long time, and if I were to, I don't even know if he'd even want me to approach him. Whatever it might be, I would just encourage each one of us today to just go to, go to his throne of grace. In fact, you know, remember that grace at its heart, grace is just an invitation. Grace is an invitation to come experience God. And what it is, I heard a guy speak uh, several years ago, and his title of his talk was An Invitation for Two. And really, what's going on right now is that Jesus is at the table. And on the other side of the table, there's a chair, and he's kicked that chair out. And he really wants you to come join him. And if you will go and just connect with him, sit in that chair and tell him, you know, Confess to him, you know, God, I did this, I did this, and I should not have done it. What you're going to find there is not condemnation. What you're going to find there is the grace of God. And he's going to, he's going to say, well, let's, let's just keep going. And you're going to find a smiling Jesus who loves you and cares for you. And you find a place where your real life can really begin. And so I, I just encourage each one of us to just 
pursue the grace of God and know that it's not something we earn, it's something that he freely gives. And so I'd encourage each one of you to do that uh, this week. So I'd like to ask the band to go ahead and, uh, and come back up. And uh, if, you, if you haven't finished filling out your connection card, now's a great time to do it. Um, and I'm going to pray for us as we continue with the service. Father God, I, I know I stand before you as someone who needs your grace on a daily basis. And God, I just pray that each one of us would connect more and more to your grace and that, God, you would change the direct trajectory of our lives as we walk with you and we, uh, and we really grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen.